Morning. Oh, man. I love singing with you guys. I miss singing with them. Um, and, uh, man, I thought, uh, those who know I am, Thomas Shear, um, and uh, we are sent out by you, missionaries. And uh, we were sent in 2010, and uh, we spent the last 11 years in Indonesia, and six of them among uh, the Nagi. And I certainly do. Man, I miss them. Um, I, I, I thought of this clip this morning, of this, just hearing them sing this song. Um, I, what I love about the song, it's familiar to me, the tone. Um, but to them, it's something, this is brand new to, to them to be able to sing about God's amazing grace. And um, I, I remember this week a, a quote that I, that I read from uh, John Piper. He said, missions exist because worship does not. And uh, I, I know that, that worship is so much more than just than just, just music, but I think we all recognize that there is something unique, there is something uh, just special about the way that worship is expressed in song towards God. And I think about the day um, when, when all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are gathered before the throne of God and we are all singing with one voice. I don't know that it'll be with one language, but what kind of roar and what kind of shout is that gonna be when all of his people are there singing, this is our God. He is our maker. He is our Lord and our savior. And I can't wait. And, that, and on that day, my, even my heart doesn't have to be divided and say, well, some of them are here. Some of God's people whom I love are, are here and some of God's people whom I love are on the other side of the world. No, we're all going to be together and nobody's got to worry about being sick and getting one another sick. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be great. Um, so this morning, I want to give you an update um, just about where we are. And so I have to start out this morning with some, with some sad news. Um, and that is that uh, our family and I will not be returning to Indonesia. Um, it's sad, but it's good and it's right. Um, after we have sought and talked with numerous uh, counselors and spent much time in prayer, um, for us right now, for the Shearer family, where we are at, um, I think it's, uh, we, we need a, a season, a time to be able to step away from that ministry. Um, the needs of our family, the educational needs for our kids, um, as we are looking at our capacity to serve in that context, in that environment, um, we just feel like the Lord is saying it's, it's time to step out. I don't know how long that will be and I don't even make commitments that's gonna be forever, but for right now, this is what the Lord has for us. So we're gonna be able to spend, <laughs> the exciting thing is we get to spend more time with you guys. All right? <clears throat> All right, so that's, that's kind of sad and bums me out too when I think about it. So um, let me share with you one of the most exciting experiences that I've ever had among the Nagi people. Um, this is about in 20, 2020. Um, we were hiking over to a village called uh, Dimitamon. Dimitamon's about two hours away from where, where we live um, in Tumdungbon. <clears throat> and uh, I remember the first time that I ever went to uh, this village, the word that I would use to describe the people there is about 80 people who live in Dimitamon. I would say fear, just incredible fear. The reason why I hiked over there is because um, a relative of somebody who lived in our village passed away. So I was hiking over to that village to see what does a Nagi funeral look like. Um, and the whole experience I would just describe as very dark. The people didn't even have time to grieve because immediately they have to step into this panic mode of figuring out and divining, like, how did he die? Because people don't just die. There's something, there's some sort of something spiritual involved, like either somebody or some spirit did something to kill this man. And so we've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out how to stop it so that we don't die ourselves. And so it becomes this, con this, this immediate, like, we got to figure out what are the right things we need to do? What sort of ceremonies do we need to perform so that, none, so that nobody else gets sick, sick and dies like this guy? There's no time for grief. And it was a village-wide, I don't know, I don't know what to describe it, but village-wide, like, ritualistic just dark, and it was all motivated out of fear. Well, in 2020, at this point in time, about half of the village 
in Dimi Tama. Half of the people who lived there um, had heard the gospel and a good number of them um, were believers. And the rest of the people who lived there, they said, well, we wanna hear God's talk as well. And so um, for several months, we would hike over to Dimi Tama once a week and we would do uh, Bible teaching. And it took us about six months or more, I don't remember all the details, six months or more to, to get through the story of God and leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection. I remember on this particular evening that we hiked over there, it was time now to present the, the crucifixion of Christ. My part that evening, I got to talk about uh, what did it mean when Jesus say, said, it is finished. What an absolute privilege that is. Um, and uh, so, the way, the way our meetings are set up, we meet in um, somebody's house and that, that evening we were in Simon's house, uh, Simon's wife, Etty. There's another lady that lives with them named uh, Yuneri. And uh, we're, we're in their house, we finish the meeting and everybody leaves, we present the, the crucifixion of Christ and they already know the end of the story that he does raise up. And so we said, well, tomorrow we're gonna talk about his resurrection. And so everybody leaves, and I remember there was a somberness, a heaviness in the house uh, with Etty and Juneti um, uh, uh, sitting there by the fire, and they're talking to one another, and me and my, my coworker, we're trying to get to sleep, we're exhausted, um, and I'm trying to avoid the cockroaches to keep them out of my ears. Um, and as I'm, I'm laying there, these two ladies, they start talking, and Etty just takes a deep breath, and she just goes, God's word is true. She says, you know what? We used to live in darkness. And then, and then Yuneri, she chimes in and she says, she says, that is so true. We lived in deep darkness. But then Eti says, but now, now that we've heard God's word, we live in the light I was just lying there, and they didn't, they didn't know. I mean, they, as far as they knew, we were asleep. There's just two ladies sitting by the fire having a conversation, expressing their faith to one another. They weren't having a conversation to impress anybody. And I was just sitting there thinking what God had to accomplish, what God did in order to make that moment possible what God overcame so that those ladies living in that little hut out in the middle of nowhere would have an opportunity to hear about their savior, that they would no longer live in darkness, but they would be able to say, but now we live in the light. I was thinking of how, when, how God moved in the heart of his people, stirred in them to send to them missionaries. And when he did that, he was thinking about these two ladies. Right, And he stirred in the heart of his people and he, and he kept them so that they could learn their language, learn the Nagi language and be able to present to them the truth of God's word. And when the word of God was presented, how he opened their eyes to see the truthfulness of God's word, that they would say, God's word is true. This is true. How he overcame, he opened their eyes, he opened their ears so they would see and they would hear. And now they'd say, we, we used to live in darkness, but now that we've heard God's word, we live in light. Now I just think of uh, I, John 8, Jesus says, uh, he goes, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will, um, but will have the light of life. I was thinking, Cornerstone, you realize in sending, in sending us, in sending other, other missionaries, you are actually taking part in bringing the light to places and people like Eti, like Yuneri. Like you got to be included in taking the light to dark places. We get to do that by sending out people to the other side of the planet. And I'm thinking, what a privilege that is, that God would include us in that. But you know, we're, we're, we're here now, and, and I look at our street that we live on, and I think about how many homes that are there where there are people who don't know God's word or don't see the value of God's word, and because of that, they still live in darkness. And it is a privilege to be able to say now with you in close proximity, we get to go today, us here, we get to be a part of taking the gospel to other homes and other places right here so that they can hear God's word and they can say, 
And before we knew God's word, we lived in darkness, but now we live in the light. And that is a privilege to say we get to do that in close proximity with you now. So with that said, let's open up God's word to John chapter 10. Um, before we look at John chapter 10, we're gonna need to, uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up John chapter 10. And while we're doing that, we need to talk about John chapter nine. Because in John chapter nine, there's a blind guy who were like Eti and like Yuneti, where Eti and Yuneti, uh, Eti and Yuneti, they said, we were in darkness, but now we're in light. We need to talk about a guy who said, I was blind, but now I see. And that's what we have in John chapter nine. And so for the sake of time, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna story through John chapter nine. Um, because we have to have the background of John chapter 10, and it comes from John chapter nine. All right, so in John chapter nine, Jesus, well, he gives sight to a blind guy, a guy not just, um, a guy who was born blind. And when Jesus does that, his neighbors and the people who know him are like, it's gotta be a doppelganger because it can't be the same guy because this guy can see, and the guy we know, he was born blind. And so the, and other people are like, no, that's the same dude. And the other people are like, no, it's not. And so eventually the guy's like, no, 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 this is what happened. This guy, Jesus, he came, he spit in the mud. He spit on, excuse me, in the dirt, created mud. He put it in my eyes. He told me to go wash my eyes. And that's what I did. And when I did that, he restored my sight. I can see now. And so what's interesting is the people are like, oh, that's incredible. So what they do, and, and it's not stated in the text, but what's interesting here is you almost get this, this idea here that they're like, well, well, this is a miracle. Is this of God? I don't know. Well, let's take him to the religious experts, right? The experts on God. Well, that's the Pharisees. So they, they take his neighbors, they take him to the Pharisees and they're like, look, this guy, he was born blind, but now he can see. And the Pharisees are like, Really? And he's like, yeah, I was born blind and Jesus came. He put him out of my eyes. I washed him and now I can see. And they're like, well, that can't be because today's the Sabbath and, and, and anybody who's godly knows that if you're mixing mud in the ground with your spit, that's a lot like work and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And any godly person would not be opening the eyes of blind people on the Sabbath. So this man cannot be godly. He cannot be from God. And so we're telling you, he's not of God. You tell us the truth. How did he open your eyes? And he's like, what are you talking about? No, like, like, like what are you kidding me? You would have to be blind not to see that Jesus is from God because he opened my eyes. So eventually after this man insists, no, it's Jesus who opened my eyes. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. Eventually what they do is they excommunicate him from the religious community because they were the experts and that's what they decided. So this man, he's outside of, he's now been kicked out. And in uh, verse 35 of chapter nine, Jesus, it says, when Jesus heard that it cast him out and having found him, I just wanna pause there and just say, having found him. Did, did the man whose sight was restore, restored, did he find Jesus? Is that what it says? No, who found who? Jesus found him. Those two ladies in the jungle, did they find Jesus? No, Jesus found them. Did you find Jesus? No. If you, if you found him, if you saw him for who he was, it's because he sought you first. It's because he opened your eyes to see him. So uh, Jesus says, uh, Jesus, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is a reference to, do you, do you believe in the Messiah, the one that was promised in the Old Testament? And the blind man is like, well, well, who is he? Or where, where is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus basically says, you're looking at him. <laughs> the man then says, Lord, I believe, and then begins to worship Jesus. So chapter nine there ends with Jesus basically making the statement that uh, the Pharisees here who claimed to have sight, who claimed to have experts, that they were in fact blind because they claimed to be experts on God, but when the Son of God performed a very clear miracle right in front of their face, they couldn't see it. And so he says, yeah, you guys are blind. 
They couldn't see it. So where, where does this intersect with um, chapter 10? Well, chapter 10 becomes basically a commentary, a proverb or illustration of what took place in chapter nine. So without further ado, let's actually look at uh, chapter 10. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Let me just pause there. Okay, so when you enter your house, how do you enter your house? You usually enter by the front door of the garage. A thief, as you enter your house? By the, by a window, right? Okay, or something like that, I don't know. Maybe he breaks in through the front door, but in this case, there's a, there's a climbing in, there's not a going in through the front door, they're climbing in. Verse two, he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he who um, brought, when he has brought out all his own, he, he goes before them. The sheep follow him and they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. All right, little uh, spoiler alert here. The strangers here is the, no, that's the wrong verse. Let me skip that. So in the village, we don't have PowerPoint or anything like that. Um, so this, this, is like, this is like awkward, they're like new to me, you know? It's like, I feel like, anyway, you bear with, you forgive me, right? Okay. So spoiler alert, Jesus gives an illustration of what took place, what just happened. In this illustration, there are three main characters or, or parts. You have the shepherd. Does anybody know who that is? Go ahead, you shout it out. Jesus, okay. And then you have the, the thieves and the, the robbers and the strangers. Who's that? Who do you think that is? Pharisees, okay. And the sheep, who are they? Us. They are God's people. And in chapter nine, one of the sheep was the blind guy. Now, let me just, uh, here's my experience with sheep. I read a bunch of blogs uh, about sheep, and um, nowadays that makes me an expert. Um, I'm no, I, I don't know any, I don't have any experience with sheep. But I do know that there's some similarities between dogs, sheep, and pigs. And that is, those animals will become familiar with the sound of their owner's voice. Um, the Nagi raised pigs. Uh, they had no idea what sheep were, but they did raise pigs, all kinds of pigs. And when they would get a piglet, what they would do is they'd put it in a string bag and they would carry that piglet with them wherever they went. And they would hand feed that pig. They would talk to the pig. Um, if they went to the garden, the little piglet came with them. When they got a little bit big, they would tie like strings around their legs and they'd walk along with the pig like this, you know, pull them. And the pig would learn the sound of the owner's voice. They'd go to the river, they're taking them with. When they would come to a church meeting, you gotta bring your pig with you. Um, <laughs> I have pictures of this lady sitting in church holding this pig and this pig is just <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> There's a lot of love and affection for piglets there and pigs. I have a, that same lady, her name was uh, Yono Ugu, which means the mother of Yono. She loved pigs, she raised all kinds of pigs. And uh, when the pig would get a little bit big and towards the evening time or middle of the day, they would kind of take the pig out to the, the edge of the, of the jungle and they'd let them kind of wander. And then come evening time, they would come and they would call them back. So Yono Ugu, I, I mean, I have her voice like etched in my head. Um, uh, every evening or so, uh, standing at the edge of the airstrip, just calling out for her pig, Kong, Kong, Kong. I mean, this would just go on and on. And eventually the little pig would come back and she'd carry it back into her house and the pig would sleep in her house. Now, if I tried to do that same thing with her pigs, her pigs would not respond to the sound of my voice. If pigs are not familiar with the voice they hear, they will not respond to it. And that's the same thing that Jesus is illustrating here. One other uh, quick thing. I remember uh, the only time that I went pig hunting for wild pigs with the Nagi, um, 
I only did it one time because, well, they left me out in the middle of the jungle and I got lost. The other reason was, is that particular day, they didn't catch a pig and I got blamed for it because they said, you're too noisy. The pig hears you coming and it runs away. Okay, you know, I think they just didn't catch anything and it was, I was the easy, easy way out. But the point being is that's what Jesus is illustrating here is that his sheep know his voice just like the blind man like when he opened the eyes of the blind man, the blind man saw him for who he was. Think of it this way. If, if seeing, um, being blind and seeing in chapter nine is what hearing is in chapter 10, his sheep hear his voice because he's opened their ears to hear him. And when he, then when he says he calls them by name, it's because he's calling them to himself and they hear and they respond. And on the flip side to the voice of the stranger, he says, yeah, they're not gonna listen to that. They're gonna flee and they're gonna run away. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus, it says here that Jesus, he's coming in through the door, coming to get his sheep. And he calls his sheep and his sheep follow him. But in this illustration, he's not the only one trying to get at the sheep. Who are the other guys trying to get at the sheep? The thieves, the robbers, the strangers, right? And they're also calling out for the sheep. He's, and here... We said these are, these are the, the, the Pharisees. What's so tragic about that is what the Pharisees were supposed to be. The Pharisees were supposed to be to the people of Israel as studied and learned as they were. They were supposed to be like little shepherds, like, like shepherds to, the, to, to God's people, people to teach them God's word so that, that, that God's people could know God. But Jesus says, and you can read about this in um, Matthew 23. It was a whole list of indictments against the Pharisees. And he essentially says, you love the praise of men. You love to sit in the seat of honor at the synagogue. You like to sit at the head of the table. You love being called a teacher. You're, and he even says, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in the face of people. Your religiousness has nothing to do with loving God and loving people. It has nothing to do with helping God's people. It has everything to do with elevating your own name. And you see in chapter nine, when the blind man gives testimony that it is Jesus who opened his eyes, when he says it was Jesus, so therefore he must be of God, this is totally unacceptable to the Pharisees because it means that naturally that people should follow after Jesus and not after them. So they stand in danger of losing status. They stand in danger of losing followers. I remember in Indonesia having somebody from, uh, I'll just say another religion, man, he screamed and yelled at me. And he said, you are here to steal my sheep. I was like, man, I just, I just wanna teach God's word. So let's move on. Chapter, excuse me, uh, verse, there we go. Uh, verse six, Jesus goes on, he says, for this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what was, uh, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I will say, uh, he will be saved and, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's a... There's a lot we can talk about, but here's the, here's the main thing I want you to see here is Jesus is holding up a contrast between the Pharisees, those kind of teachers, those kind of leaders that, that Israel has, or, or, yeah, that Israel has experienced and, kind of, and he's holding up himself saying, there's, 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 there's a difference here between me and them. That these people, what you have experienced, you see, they, they're, they're in this for themselves. They've come to steal, kill, kill and destroy, but I have come, I am different. I have come that you may have life. You see, the shepherd here has come not to take, but he's actually come to give. Let's see that contrast 
again and jump down to verse 12 and 13. He says, he who is a hired hand, now he's comparing the Pharisees to somebody who's just hired to take care of sheep. He said, a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees, he sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So essentially, it's the, the imagery here is that you, you guys are like, like somebody who's doing this job or this work merely for a paycheck. And all of a sudden, when, when there's danger, when it's gonna be costly to take care of the sheep, is I'm out. <laughs> Minimum wage is not enough to keep me here. I'm running away. And so as soon as it becomes costly to the Pharisees, it's like I, it was never about caring for God's people. It was always about themselves. And Jesus contrasts that back in verse 11. He says, but I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays, his, lays down his life for the sheep. That word for there means in the place of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I, I would... I would I would die for the sheep. I would lay down my life for these sheep because I care for these sheep. I'm not caring for them because I'm, gonna, I'm hoping I can get a big name for myself. I'm, no, I'm caring for them because I care for them, because I love them, because they matter to me. Uh, this is really another way of what he says in uh, Matthew 20. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life um, as a ransom for many. You ever think of, of, of that Jesus in this statement when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That he is professing to you, he is declaring to you, this is how committed I am to you. I'm, I'm making my commitment, my declaration of how committed I am to you. I know we talk often and we hear in a lot of Christian circles, we talk about our commitment to God. You, you know, come and make your commitment to Christ. Guys, this is, this is God's commitment. This is Christ's commitment to you. That I care for you, I would lay down my life for you. And we know that he did. And we know that scripture says, what now? Like now, having done the hard thing, is there anything good that he will now keep from you? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I remember thinking, I remember thinking when, when we were leaving for Indonesia, I remember thinking, I know God's gonna take care of us because we're, we're, we're doing this super awesome thing, you know, we're gonna go be missionaries. And there's the confidence of like, hey, we're, we're following him to the other side of the planet. Surely he's gonna take care of us. And I remember on the flip side when it was like we're coming in this direction. And it still was in obedience to him, but I remember there was like, but we're not coming this way to, to, to be missionaries. Does that mean he's gonna stop caring for us? Does that mean he's gonna stop providing for us? As if God's care dependent on, on me, on God's love, when that depends on my obedience and how radical I am, how radically I'm following him, because only if I do that, then he's really gonna care for me. No, I remember he was saying, no, I, I cared for you as a missionary sending you to the other side of the planet, not because you're a missionary, because you were my kid, or in this case, because you're my sheep and I am your shepherd and I love you, I care for you. So I think, let's talk about this shepherd sheep uh, analogy here, okay? Because um, I think this is gonna be a good place just to say uh, that Jesus will always be the shepherd and we will always be a sheep. I know it is not popular today to say, to call yourself a sheep. Uh, am I right, yeah? Like that's like, you're just, you're a sheep. I know even in Christian circles, we use that, you know, I think that's been pressed that we're just dumb sheep, and God's gotta go after us because we're just stupid sheep. Let me just clarify something for you. Both the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers use this sheep-shepherd analogy, illustration. Jesus himself calls himself 
a shepherd and he calls you sheep. And none of the biblical writers, including, including Jesus Christ himself, is using this in a derogatory way. This is a precious way of God talking about his relationship to his people. There is no insult in the scriptures when he calls us sheep. I think of, it's probably one of the most common, most well-known Psalms, right? Psalms 23. And what does David say? The Lord is my shepherd. And by implication, he is a sheep. A sheep. Is he embarrassed to say that? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm just a sheep. That's why he's got to be my shepherd because I'm just a sheep. No, man, this is, this is when you look at Psalms 23, you know what this is? It's like there's a fence and there's one sheep on this side, another sheep on this side and the two sheep meet and the one sheep's looking over at the other sheep and he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Because he's my shepherd, I got everything I need. He cares for me. He loves me, he leads, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me to still waters. Man, he, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for my namesake, even though, you fill in the blank, even though I lose my life, even though I get sick, even though I lose my job, it's okay because I can fear no evil for, for he, the shepherd, is with me. There is no insult in that. Psalms 100, he says, um, what does he say? Psalms 103, I think he says, I should have wrote it down. I'm gonna have to find it. It's worth looking at. Oh, here we go. Okay. It says this, know that the Lord, the Lord, he's God. It is he who has made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. These are people. These are psalmists who are saying, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I'm so glad that I'm a sheep and I'm part of his pasture because it means that he's the one who's going to care for me. I know, I know that this illustration, when we really think about it, it does humble us to say that we're sheep. It is humbling. Because when we think about sheep, sheep are what? Sheep are needy. They need someone else to care for them. They need someone else to look after them. Um, sheep are natural followers. They need a leader. They need to be dependent for someone else to lead them. They need protection. Sheep aren't that fierce. It, it means that the, the, the best of, of humanity, the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most successful, at the end of the day, you're still a sheep. And that's okay. That's like saying, you're still human. You're not God. You were meant to be God. God is the only truly independent being in the universe. Everything else depends on him. Anything else or anybody says anything else lives in a fantasy. But the other thing that the language of sheep shepherd does when God calls us his sheep, do you realize this actually exalts humanity? Because it says that we are loved and cared, that God he gives, he chooses to give his attention and his watchful eye to us. So even the lowest of us can say, I'm his, I belong to him. And once the good shepherd, he laid his life down for me, forever declaring my worth and value to him because I was bought with the precious blood of my shepherd. And now there's absolutely nothing that can separate me from his good care. Absolutely nothing. And so, if Jesus died for sheep, if he cares for sheep, I don't want to be called a lion. Don't, don't call me a lion. I didn't take my family to the other side of the planet because I was a lion for Jesus, because I was strong and brave and independent. No, I took my family because I was a sheep. And I was just following the voice of a good and strong shepherd whose voice I could follow anywhere because he was gonna take care of me. And whatever happened, I knew that my shepherd was totally in control and I could trust the voice of my shepherd. So I don't wanna be called a sheep. I don't wanna be called a lion. 
You can call me a sheep. I will proudly wear that name. I'll just say this. God's not looking for lions to follow after him. He's looking for sheep. He's looking for people to say, and I, I'm needy, but I want to live with the shepherd and I want to follow him. He's not looking. You know, he, I love that statement. He takes the runt of the litter. Um, he takes lambs. He takes little and he loves us and he cares for us. He says, you follow me. Let's look at uh, verse 14 here. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down, I lay, excuse me, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep I just say, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus died for sheep from every part of the world. And some of them live right across the street, and some of them live on the other side of the planet. They have wandered, they're lost, and they are in darkness, and they are help, helpless. But here, Jesus, with certainty, says, I must bring them also. Why? Because they belong to him. In this passage, it is Jesus himself who says, I will bring them in. I will bring in lost sheep. He's the seeker here. But later he would say, just as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. The means in which Jesus today is still bringing in lost sheep, gathering in these other sheep, is that he stirs in the hearts of those whom he has already brought in, and then he tells them, go and get the other sheep. Bring them in. There may be one flock with one shepherd. That is why we, the Shearer family, went to the other side of the planet. And that is why today we are again sending out Matt and Mai. And because we believe that God has got sheep in Japan. We, we believe that, that there's more to be brought in. There's more that need to hear. And so that's why we want to be a part of that. And that's why we're sending them out again. So I would just say, get behind that. Do you not see this is the heart of our good shepherd? And this is what we get to be a part of. If you don't know Matt and my, find them afterwards, introduce yourself. Um, you guys got prayer cards out there? Okay, they got prayer cards. Get one of those, commit to pray for them and take part in what the good, what your shepherd is saying, this is what I want you to be a part of. Because lost people don't come to know Jesus apart from the word of God and the people of God. It's the means in which he's still bringing them back in. All right, let's look at, I think this is maybe be our last one for today. Let's look at this uh, last verse. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I love that. Right there in the middle, he says, I know them. I know my sheep. You know what that means? Because maybe overly simplistic, is that he knows those that are his. When Jesus looks at the world, he only sees two groups of people. Those that are his and those that are not. And that can actually be quite scary in, in, in this way. At least for me, as I think about, I can't look out here and know for certainty. Oh yeah, no, these are, these are every single one, everybody sitting here. They're all God's sheep. I don't, I don't know, I don't, you, you ain't got name tags that I can just look at, you know, and know for certain. But he does know. And the scriptures also say is there's gonna be a time when he separates those that are his and those that aren't. That I think about the tragedy of like, we can all be here together in a mixed group, but there's gonna come a time when those that are really his, he's gonna separate from those that aren't. But here's what's exciting. is today, if you would have him, he would be to you 
your shepherd. You see, the shepherd died for the sheep in order to pay for the sins of the sheep. And he would wash away all of your sins, all of your shame and guilt. He would remove that from you. He would drive away your deepest fears with his own presence and be to you a good shepherd if you would be to him a sheep. If you would entrust yourself to him, I think if he would forgive you of everything that you've ever done and he would claim you as his own. The flip side of that though is those that are truly his, what's exciting is that he, he knows us. In, in other words, he, 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 he knows us. He doesn't lose track of us or he doesn't, he doesn't forget us. Um, did you ever feel like that? You're like, man, I thought we were friends but you never call, you know? It's like, oh, I, mean, I was busy, I didn't, you know, I, I forgot. Sorry. No, he doesn't do that. He's not forgetful. It's not like he's got so many sheep that he can't keep track of all the sheep. And he's like, oh yeah, you're just one of many. He's like, no, no, no. He's the only being that can perfectly pay attention to every single sheep so that he doesn't lose any of them. His affections are for each and every one of them. I just think of at times, sometimes we can feel so alone, but just remember you are never unnoticed by your shepherd because he knows his sheep. Um, The other part of this verse, if you take the front and the back end of it, he says, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. I was thinking this is a repeat of what he's already said earlier on. He said that his sheep hear his voice, they follow after him, um, but the voice of a stranger, in contrast to that, they don't follow after him. And the more that I was thinking about this, there's one aspect, and I've already said this, that we hear because he opens our ears to hear. That's the the only way we hear his voice. There's another aspect of that where I'm like, and this this has gotta be characteristic of his sheep. Because I know from my own experience, I don't always listen to his voice. I may hear it, but sometimes I'm listening to another, another voice. It's actually the voice of a stranger but I'm listening to that. I think of um, when Paul planted the, the church in, in Galatia, right? He, he represented the good shepherd well. He preached to them a very clear gospel. So he leaves and then he gets word um, that these other teachers have come and now these, these sheep of God are actually listening to another voice, another, uh, another teacher. And now Paul says, man, who bewitched you? Like Christ was so clearly, like the gospel was so clearly presented, so clearly so clear before your eyes and now you're starting to listen to another voice. You have 2 Corinthians, the same, same scenario where Paul plants this church and now these other guys claiming to be superior to Paul, they're starting to pull away people and Paul writes this letter and it's like, that, that's not what, I, that's not what I, I taught you. That's not the gospel I presented towards you because they were starting to listen to another voice. So, I think there's a progressive nature to learning to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And the more that we become familiar with his voice, the more quickly we recognize, oh no, that voice, that's the voice of a stranger and it actually should have no part in my life. There's a progressive nature to that. I I think of when we we first um, started teaching in the village, or let me back up. Uh, about 30 years before our team ever arrived among the Nagi, there was a religious group that was going hiking through the jungle, striving to make a name for themselves. And the way they did that is they wrote down as many names as they could from village to village so that they can go report these things into the, in, in, in town and basically say, I have X amount of followers, I'm a big man. So they came through our, our area and a lot of the Nagi registered and, and they didn't, they couldn't write their own names, but they were telling them, this is my name, write my name down. And these people said, well, if you go through these religious ceremonies, then God will forgive you of all of your sins. And the people did it and they believed it. And the people said, well, the teachers said, well, you need to continue on with these, these religious practices and God will continue to, to wash away your sins. And they did it. So fast forward 2015, we're teaching for the first time and we get halfway through the teaching and we knew on this particular day that what they had heard and what God's word says were gonna collide. And we're wondering what the response was gonna be. And so we're teaching and right in the middle of teaching, this guy, Yopi, he's sitting there cross-legged in the front. He's wearing a hood that day. And I just remember he just starts banging his finger on the ground like this. And he interrupts the meeting and just shakes his head and he is, he is upset. Because he goes, 
We didn't know. We didn't know. They came. They told us this is what was true and what we were supposed to do. And we just listened to them. We didn't know. But I'm done. We're going to hold on to God's word now. Because we're done with this. I was like, wow, awesome. Guys, I think... There are moments, even in, in, our, in our Christian life, where we realize, we come to realize that, wait, wait a minute, I've been, I've been listening to the wrong voice. That's not the voice of my good shepherd. That's not, that's not, that's not truth. That's in fact a lie. And the more familiar we become with his voice, the more quickly we can recognize Voice of a stranger, I'm gonna run away from that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna bring that into my life because my mom taught me I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. And so I'm gonna run away from that. Um, I, I've never had a, a Pharisee speak into my life. Has anybody ever had that? No? Okay, I don't even know if that group is still around. But the point being is I've never had a religious teacher like that speak into my life, um, which is what the context here of John 10 uh, and in fact, I've never even had um, most of my Christian mentors and, and um, uh, pastors and elders that I've sat under have been wonderful. I love the elders and pastors here, okay? These shepherds that the great shepherd has given to this flock and the privileges to sit under them. So most of the teachers that have been in my life have represented the good shepherd quite well. They have spoken on his behalf, spoken very clearly, but I have had voices in my life that seem to speak with great authority. And I listened to them. I had experiences in my life that um, pretty negative experience, particularly early on when I was a kid uh, in school. And I, I, I struggled to read. Um, and uh, even this morning, you can hear me fumble through my words. I still struggle to read. Um, and because of that, I can still hear the voices of other kids in my class laughing at me and telling me I was dumb. And so the voice that I heard that seemed to speak with authority in my life said, you are dumb and you're incompetent. And because I carried that voice around in my head as an adult, I began to think, well, because I'm incompetent and I'm dumb, that means that God can't use me. I remember arriving on the mission field and uh, realizing learning another language is hard. Um, and once again, hearing the same voice saying, you know why this is hard? It's because you're incompetent, Thomas. You should never have come here. Like, who are you kidding? Just go home. And you know what? There are a lot of days when I listened to that voice. But as time goes on, faithfully, the good shepherd begins to say to me, Thomas, who called you here? Well, you did. Thomas, who, who made you with both your strengths and your weaknesses? You did. Okay, Thomas, do you realize that my power is made perfect in your weakness? Oh yeah, that's right. Do you realize that every day that you endure in what is difficult, you declare the worth and the value of the gospel? I do. You see, all of a sudden, listening to the voice of the good shepherd, it's like, well, this may be hard, but I'm declaring the worth and the value of Jesus and his word with every day that I endure with joy and obedience and keep going. Now I wonder what voices that you allow to speak into your life, which are in fact strangers, They're the voices of strangers. They're not coming from a good shepherd who loves you and cares for you. They're actually coming from somewhere else. And like strangers, they shouldn't have a part of your life. What voices are you listening to instead of the voice of the good shepherd? And so I think the question comes down to then, how do we hear the voice of the good shepherd? I mean, how, how, how do we hear his voice? Well, this isn't gonna be a real surprise, but we hear his voice through his word, through the, 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 the word of God, that he actually speaks to us from his word. You know, coming back from Indonesia, we were really disappointed about that. And you know what the good shepherd told me? He reminded me of Philippians chapter one, verse 12, where Paul, when he was in prison, he says, hey, I want you to know that these things happened to me. These things that have happened to me have actually, they're turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, the good shepherd told me, he's like, Thomas, walking in obedience, leaving and coming back here is actually gonna result in the furtherance of the gospel. Oh, really? How? 
don't worry about it. It's like, okay, by faith, I can take that encouragement as from the good shepherd because I heard it from his word. Even preparing for this week, feeling like, oh, Lord, I don't know, man. We've got like really amazing, like really cool pastors here that teach. Like, and you know what the Lord reminded me from um, Isaiah, Isaiah 51, where the Lord says, I will fill, I have filled your mouth with my words. Oh, you have? Okay, all right. I'll keep getting ready for Sunday to speak. And so he keeps speaking to us through his word. I think of those little piglets that the Nagi would carry around with them. I think, man, Lord, that's what I wanna be. (laughs) I wanna be like a little, little piglet and just sit with you and hear your voice, to learn to hear your voice, to learn to hear your thoughts towards me. Learn to hear about your care for me because I'm yours. All right, so let's, let's bring this all together. We have a good shepherd and we're his sheep and that's a good thing. The shepherd, he died for the sheep forever fixing our worth and value. He bought us with his own blood. As the shepherd, he pursued us. He came after us because he loves his sheep. He found us. He opened our eyes. He opened our ears. He cares for us. He leads us. He knows us. And we can entrust ourselves to him. Can I, can I challenge you to approach the word of God as sheep? To open up the word of God like a sheep approaching the shepherd and saying, would you, would you pursue me through, through your word? Would you cause my heart to rest in your good care? Like, like a sheep laying down in a green pasture. Would you, would you fill my soul with living water? Would you provide that for me? Can I live under that kind of care? Would you restore me? And I think of the hurts and the aches to approach the word of God and say, God, would you restore my soul? And would you lead me, God, in the paths of righteousness. Would you do that for your name's sake? Would you keep working in me that which is pleasing in your sight? See, in that way, what we're approaching the word of God and saying, God, would you, would you fulfill all that you said you do when you said that you were the good shepherd? Would you be to me a good shepherd? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for, God, your pursuit of us as your sheep. Lord, I pray that, God, we would live as sheep, your sheep, listening to your voice, leaning into your good care for us. Lord, would you help us to identify the voices that aren't coming from you? They're coming from a different place. They're coming from a different source and they ought to be like the voices of strangers and we ought to flee from them. Lord, would you, would you help us to identify those things, Lord? Um, thank you for your good care. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>